It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Back to another edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast. Ben standing here along with our guy, Adam Rubin from truthaboutit.net. You, of course, can follow. Uh, you can find all the podcasts on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. Adam is at Liddell's Place. You can find my work on NBC Washington and Fandrag Sports. He is with truthaboutit.net. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about here, Adam. Obviously, the big news, Aaron Rodgers has been cleared by the Packers. Oh, wait, sorry, sorry. I don't mean that. You got the uh, Otani guy, the Japan import, signing with the Angels. Apparently, he's got a, 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 a an elbow issue. Oh, wait, that's the wrong podcast. Something else happened big tonight in this country, but, well, that's not for us either. The big story, the Washington Wizards once again lost to a bad team. And they did it again late with craziness. The, the starters largely stunk, and weird things happened at the end of the game, and this is becoming... Uh, uncomfortably weird, Adam. What was it meant like like many a first date I've had? <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll leave <laughs> I'll leave that alone. I won't delve into that. Um, I mean, what well, uh, you know? Look, I mean, the basics for those who maybe didn't see it: Wizards lose. Uh, final score here: one oh three ninety eight. We'll get to the maybe the specifics of we'll get to the specific uh, at the end in a second with uh, particularly this potential uh, game uh, three go, uh, game time three point attempt that never actually got off because of a five second call. But let's just go to the bigger picture here with a couple things. So they end this five game road trip with back to back losses to teams with look it's on the road it's you know no road win is no road game is easy I'll concede that of course. But they go back-to-back losses to teams missing not just some players, missing their best players. And I understand the Wizards are missing John Wall, who, by the way, may be back in time. It sounds like maybe back for Wednesday's game against Memphis. I get that the Wizards are missing John Wall. But the Wizards are also considered to be a contender in the East. And the teams that they were playing, the Clippers, over the weekend, the game you saw live, you know, they're, they're missing a bunch of guys, including Blake Griffin. They're falling apart. And the Nets... God bless them. They're scrappy and all that, but they're they're no, no D'Angelo Russell, no Jeremy Lin. They just traded away Trevor Booker. Uh, the, the, this is, I mean, when they did the in, the intro for the game on television, Steve Buckhand said, and the Wizards are going to take on 
Spencer Dinwiddie and the Nets. Okay, right there. So that should be a win. They lost. And why did they lose? Uh, they couldn't make any threes. But more more to the point, the starters, other than Beal for the most part, just didn't give them much of anything. And Scott Brooks was clearly annoyed at them. Basically didn't play three of them in the fourth quarter at all. Um, once again, Adam, the, the the starters are just not not up to the task here uh, these last few games. Yeah, and I think uh, you can look at Marquise played 19 minutes, Gortat played 18 minutes, and Tim Frazier played 16 minutes. It, they so played a combined eight, se- eight seconds combined in the fourth quarter. And that was right. Like, so, so that was just Gortat eating for the last play, which didn't work out <laughs> uh, basically for the game. Yeah, so clearly Scott Brooks is responding to what he's seeing on the court and changing the playing time accordingly. Uh, if you look at, again, plus and minus is not an exact science, but the entire starting five is a minus, all of them in double digits minus, and the entire bench uh, is a plus. And, you know, each individual player is a plus. And, again, I think what you're seeing is the bench playing much better playing with a lot more effort. But I mean, looking at the, the bigger picture, I mean, the, the starters were not playing with any energy at all. And that's why I think the bench came in and they, and Brooks kept them in, in the fourth. They were scrappy. They were playing hard. Jason Smith was in there. He was taking charges, more charges than I've seen, you know, anyone else take on this team, you know, for a long time. Um, and Ubre was back to playing with, with energy and effort. And Sadaranti was moving the ball well and they were getting things going. And, but uh, you know, I think the the biggest issue was the starters for throughout the entire game. Their their pick and roll defense was just atrocious, and they continue to switch on every pick. Even when even before the pick is set, the big man jumps onto the guard. I mean, even if the, there was a possibility of the guard fighting through it and staying on his man, they're still switching. And all game, the big man was rolling, and there was no weak side rotation. So. Brooklyn was getting easy baskets at the rim with Jarrett Allen. Just everybody scoring at the rim. All they had to do was feign a pick or do a weak pick, and Washington was conceding a mismatch and not rotating at all and protecting the rim. And that's why Brooks got Gortat out early and kept him out because he was pissed off at the lack of the rim protection. And that was his entire game, the slow rotations, giving up open baskets. And that's that only stopped once the bench came in and once Jason Smith came in and they actually hustled. And I mean, there was one play they were getting killed on that all, all night, but there's one play with about three minutes left when the game was getting close, where they actually switched on a pick and roll. But then the weak side, I think it was auto rotated. He broke up the pass to the big man. It was the first time all game. They all hustled all five together. And that's what they were doing when, when they were winning earlier in the year, you know, when they play well is when they're all five hustling, and playing on a string on defense, and they did it for one play, and and that was it. And so that you know that's really where I think the the issue is. I mean, it's just a ridiculous lack of effort on defense. I mean, Marquise not moving. Uh, you know, they have no rim protection. Tim Frazier gets destroyed when they switch when he's in, and hopefully that's going to end so, tomorrow. But so here's yeah. uh, so so here's some post game quotes here from. Scott Brooks, quote, I thought our guys off the bench did a great job competing. We have to get more from our starters, bottom line. Our starters have to come in and give us effort. And, and that really is 
the story. I mean, just and it was it was this way the whole game. I mean, in the first quarter, the Wizards are down thirty to twenty two. The bench comes in, and immediately they get it back to basically a tie game. We go into the halftime. Uh, it's a tie game, and it was you know immediately in the third quarter, same thing, right? The the, the starters give up. It, it was getting it was getting to a point. I thought the Wizards were going to get blown out. I think they were down like what fourteen points or something in the third quarter, and then uh, you know slowly but surely, you know basically it was some combination of Bradley Beal, Sadoransky, Jody Meeks, Jason Smith with like Ubre, Mike Scott. Uh, those guys basically some combination of those guys really uh, you know turn this around. But 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 let's get to the fourth to the late fourth quarter here because. I'll try to do this in somewhat chronological order because there's a few things here to go through, Adam. And, and, and let's let's not lay this 100% on the players and, and we'll, because I'm going to start with this. And I don't have the exact time here. But about six minutes to go in the fourth quarter, the Wizards... Uh, it, it's like a tie game, right? Uh, hold on. I know this is terrible. Oh, here we go. 6.17 to go in the fourth quarter. Brooks, the Wizards are down one. He brings Beal in for Sadoransky, okay? Now, that in and of itself doesn't sound like a bad move, right? Bradley Beal's coming in. But it meant Bradley Beal and Jody Meeks were the backcourt. Now, I had looked this up prior to the game, and it's one of those stats where some people are like, what the hell does a two-man combination mean? But when you look at the Wizards' two-man lineups out there, since John Wall's been out for these last nine games, any, any lineup that's played, I think it's at least 15 minutes, the worst one, the, the worst net rating of any of them is Bradley Beal and Jody Meeks. It hasn't worked. This no point guard lineup hasn't worked. Now, the Wizards were fortunate that Brooklyn decided to follow their inept offense, but basically neither team scored for like four minutes in this stretch. And then by the time they put Sadoransky in, um, you know, the, the Wizards did get, uh, the, the Wizards basically never found their rhythm uh, again. I understand the need to sit Sadoransky at some point because he had played a lot, but it just felt like it was taking way too long to get him back in, especially at that point in the game. Your offense is not moving. Why he keeps going to that. And, and like I said, he's down John Wall. He doesn't have a ton of options. You're, you mentioned Frazier. You know, he's a liability on some level in the fourth quarter because he can't shoot and he's small to defend. So I get, like, where is he going to go? But that combination is just hasn't been working, and he put himself in that position late in that game. Just seemed like a bad spot to to, to do that. Yeah, and when he brought Sadoransky in, it was after Beal was playing point, made a ridiculous pass that got stolen by Demar Carroll, and then Beal fouled Carroll while he was driving for a layup. You know, uh, he got the basket and the foul, and I give. I guess if you want to give Brooks credit, he immediately put Sadoransky in for Beal. So, I mean, I'm giving him credit for recognizing that his prior decision was wrong. Uh, you know, sort of like giving Ernie Grunfeld credit for dumping Andrew Nicholson, uh, but without, you know, blaming him for the, the signing in the first place. Uh, but I, they've done it. I thought when Avery Bradley was on Beal as a point guard and just humiliated him uh, when they played Detroit, uh, you know, a few games ago. I thought that was going to be the end of the Bradley Beal point guard experiment, but he's continued to do it, and it doesn't work. Now, I will say, I think that at the end of the fourth quarter, I think you hit on this, it was more about him not wanting to put Tim Frazier back in the game 
than him wanting Bradley Beal to be the point guard because Sadabrowski had played so many minutes. The team had been playing so well that he needed he needed a break. So I think it's the fact that Brooks has absolutely no faith in Tim Frazier, as as evidenced by the fact that after starting the first half and then the second half, Frazier did, when he came out of the game, he was never put back in, in the half. Even in the second quarter, Brooks went with a no-point guard lineup. He let Beal play point guard in the second quarter rather than put Frazier back in the game. But, yeah, in those moments, I mean, Sadoransky was fine. He hadn't played that many minutes. What he, he didn't play that many for the whole game. So, you know, he's in the 20s. So they definitely would have been better off having Sadoransky in as a safety valve. And, and that turnover killed him with Beal, and it's predictable, and it happens every single time Beal plays point guard. And, and luckily, with Walker coming back, it, it, it's going to stop. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Right. And look, I mean, like you said, I mean, Sadoransky played a, a, a bunch in the, in the second half. You know, Jody Meeks played 26 minutes and he was a plus 17. Like you said, a plus minus, of course, always a little bit, uh, you know, tough to, to gauge. But he, you know, at a very basic level, let's just put aside, is he a good defender? He only was two for nine from the field. But Jody Meeks, like the other guys off the bench, was hustling. There was one sequence when he like got inside, missed a shot, put up his own, he tapped up his own miss, missed again. But then I think Gortat came in and cleaned it up. And uh, but you know he was doing the hustle plays. Ubre had twelve and nine. Jason Smith nine and five. Mike Scott eight and five. Sadoransky eight points, four rebounds, three assists. Once again, zero turnovers. So you know I, I, we basically have reached a point where for now, other than Beal and sometimes Otto. Brooks is just simply going with guys who are putting up energy, irregardless of what else is happening. And I don't blame him because of the li- of the limited stuff that's going on with the front court. Um, all right, so so let's spin this ahead. So the Wizards get a lead, and they, they they're up ninety eight ninety seven. The Nets come out of a timeout with fifty one seconds left. You know when you when you. The downside of using your bench guys, in theory, it means you don't have your better players on the court. And whether it would have been a different story if Marquise Morris was on the court or not, I can't say. But what happened was, basically, Alan Crabb went to set a pick on Jason Smith, and the Wizards were were clearly switching. He went to set a pick on Jason Smith, but instead of setting one, he sort of brushed off of Jason Smith's shoulder, went behind him up to the top of... He did this sort of on the right wing... He went up behind him and then up to the top of the key. Jason Smith, I guess, not recognizing that the bump was, in essence, should have been a sign for him to switch, didn't. Bradley Beal, who was chasing Crab, did switch. The ball got swung over for Dinwiddie, passed it to Crab, a wide open three. He buries it to put to put them up. Uh, it was a crucial bl- defensive blunder uh, for the Wizards. I, I, look, Jason Smith clearly missed it. I give him a slight pass because the play was happening in essence behind him. And I don't know if he realized it was a fake pick as opposed to somebody just bumping him, but clearly he didn't move. And that cost him uh, a wide open shot there. Uh, I have an issue with this uh, in terms of blaming Smith. Uh, 
you know, I've watched the play a few times, and the pick was really – there wasn't a pick, and, and it was behind him. And so I don't see why he is responsible for – he didn't know there was any contact until uh, Alan Crabb pushed him in the back. It, it wasn't a pick. Beal might have assumed there was going to be a pick, but he didn't get picked, and so I, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the issues I have with a constant – switching as a normal of a defensive philosophy is to always switch because you, you don't always know what you have to wait for the pick to happen before you switch. And what the wizards do is they anticipate the picks. And this is what they were doing on the pick and roll. They just automatically switch when a pick is about to come. And that's why Beal just assumed there was a switch, even though no pick actually came, you know, Beal was just, I released my man. He's about to set a pick. So now I'm going to switch on to, to Jason Smith's man. So I think that's part of the problem with having switches that are just done automatically and not saying, Hey, fight through it. Uh, because there wasn't an actual pick here. So uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm saying, uh, I'm giving, uh, Jason Smith, uh, the benefit of the doubt here that he couldn't have known that pick was coming or, or couldn't have known that Beal was anticipating a pick and known to just immediately run with, with crab. Again, you'll have to watch the video and we're talking about a video that you're not watching while we're saying it, but I, I, it wasn't a clear-cut play, and, and but but yes, it was a defensive. Anytime someone's wide open for a three-pointer, someone you know made a mistake. They did not execute. But right, no, I, I think we're both on the same general page because it, it was happening behind him. He doesn't know. I mean, unless he's got eyes in the back of his head, he doesn't know if Crab is setting the pick and therefore he's got a switch, or if it's just somebody just bumping behind him. Because if it happens, he obviously assumed the ladder didn't move. We all, Beal stayed, so two guys were there, left a wide-open shot. They suffered. So Beal then, on the next possession, misses a shot for the Wizards. The Nets come down. They also miss a shot, but yet here's the next miscue for the Wizards. Uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson sneaks in to get the rebound. I think the, I think the ball even hit the ground. I don't think he got it like clean out of the air. And basically, if you watch the replay, Otto Porter was on him. He had interior position, and he basically just let a pretty the ball basically like bounced away, and basically uh, he just let Hollis Jefferson out hustle him to get the ball, uh, which let the, the Nets kept possession, and that ultimately set them up after a timeout. Spencer didn't we hit it for hit one of two free throws <clears throat> to give them a three point lead, but basically that was another lapse there. Frado, do we need to talk about that or just go on to the the wacky three point or the wacky five second call? Well, I will say one quick thing because this is the point of why Brooks is playing his bench on that last play where Washington missed the rebound. Sadoransky was switched onto Jared Allen and under the basket, and what he did was he just face guarded Jared Allen and pushed him away from the basket, which is what you need to do. You need to find a man when you when you're covering a seven footer, face guard him and just push him the hell out of there if you're caught down there and you're, and you know, you're short. So it's those types of little hustle plays, which, which Otto didn't do just letting you, you see Sadoransky face guarding a guy just, with all of his might while Otto Porter's just standing there. So I think that's just sort of a, a microcosm of the type of energy that, that Brooks is looking for. Just the little things, just get out there and just do something, get your, get on a body. Same thing with Gortat against the Clippers. When Deandre Jordan pushed him, the second to last play, Brooks said, look, yeah, he pushed him off, but you got to be a man down there and you got to, you got to fight. So I think it's those little things that, that Brooks is looking for. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league. 
helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so now we get to the really crazy part of it all. Uh, This was what you witnessed in L.A. the other day that we talked about with that clock situation. That was just weird and confusing in part because of what happened with the refs. But this, but, but, and maybe as you said at that point, you know, and I think my, my guy Bobby Bancroft did also, it looked like Beal maybe didn't get the shot off in time regardless. So whatever happened, we really can't blame the refs ultimately for that. What happened here, what we're about to describe is a much worse scenario because this is about fundamentals for the Wizards. This is about whatever, I, I don't, unfortunately there were no quotes from Brooks or the players that I could see here uh, post game that I was given that, that show me what, uh, w- any thoughts on this play. So we're just going to have to go with what we saw and what we assume. The Wizards have the ball 8.8 seconds left, side out of bounds, Sadoransky on the inbounds. The first thing that, you know, we're watching the play, you're watching the ball, of course, and all of a sudden you see the ref counting. One, two, three, four, five. Sadoransky sort of throws it on the five, but I think in fairness it probably maybe did go that tick after the ref dropped the hand for a five. Even Steve Buckhans, who constantly complains about refs and five-second calls, even he said that the count seemed fair. So the whistle goes on Sadoransky. You're like, unbelievable. How does he not get the ball in, right? But then I go back and immediately watch the play, and I think you've now done that as well. And the, the bizarre part is the play design, or at least the execution of it. Because what happens is you've got – Bradley Beal sort of on the low block opposite side of the court from Sadoransky. They need a three. He's the Otto Porter starts the motion. He cuts t- immediately around to the basket as if maybe hypothetically Sadoransky would throw a quick pass to him for a layup. Or if nothing else, maybe you're hoping the defense focuses on him. Kelly Oubre kind of follows behind him. That would leaving Beal and Gortat as the only two players on that side of the court. Gortat is essentially foul line extended. Looks like he's standing there assuming that Beal will run towards him to set a pick. But Beal doesn't even move until like the count, the five second count is like around three. By the time he moves, gets in the vicinity of Gortat, then gets to the top of the arc, it's basically right there on just, you know, just uh, about the about four and change count. So Sadoransky throws it when he sees the guy come open, but by then it's too late. And so therefore the question is, what the hell was going on here? Did somebody miss a pick and not help set Beal free earlier? Or is Beal's internal clock, one that maybe was off in L.A., is it proven to be broken because he waited way too long to move on this? And by the way, the worst part is he actually made the shot when he caught the inbounds pass, which would have tied the game, but it didn't count. Yeah, this is this is a tough one because, first of all, yes, Buckhand says the five-second call was fair, meaning that it actually was five seconds. But it's not fair in that they never call it at five seconds. It was about 5.2 seconds, 5.3, but they never call it that fast. But aside from that, Beal, not only only does he not move for over three seconds, his first movement is to take two steps into the lane before attempting to body slam 
uh, was it Hollis <laughs> Jefferson? I forget who was, you know, to get free. And so really, there was no really did, by, And he really did, by the way. He really almost threw the defender to the ground. It wasn't like he just bumped into him. He really, it looked more, more like a football play than it did a basketball play. He really aggressively tried to get away from him and almost threw him to the ground. And that's because there was about four seconds that already elapsed on the, at the play. You know, it was, it was Levert who he did it to. But about four seconds had already elapsed, so he, he had to, to do that in order to get, you know, free. But so you have Beal not getting free until after five seconds. And second, because you might think, well, wait a minute, maybe Sadoransky was, uh, you know, zeroing in on Beal. And, and, you know, he shouldn't have waited to Beal. He should have passed it to, to a secondary option. At the time that Beal comes free, Ubre and Gortat are setting picks, facing the basket, not looking at Sedaransky. There's not not even an option, you know, for the ball to be passed in. Otto Porter, who after that curl, he he curled towards Sedaransky, but then all the way, you know, sort of a circular motion all the way back towards the other side of the court. And if you see, he wasn't even available for a pass. He he after his curl, he just sort of stopped under the basket. So there was not. There was nobody for Sadoransky to pass it to. And this is where we get to the play design. There's now five seconds have elapsed. There is not one player on the court who Sadoransky can pass it to. Not one. I mean, how does that happen? So, again, that's why we wanted the quotes at post game to figure out what happened. So, something went wrong. I don't know if somebody was supposed to set a pick for Beal so he wouldn't have to body slam his man, but it doesn't look like it because. Ubre and Gortat were sort of making a wall at the foul line. It looked like that was going to be where Beal was supposed to run to. So, uh, you know, I don't know if Brooks drew up the play and, <laughs> and, and forgot how long it takes for human beings to actually run those motions before, they, before the, the Beal would, would come up to the top of the key. But it was, it was very strange, and it's unfortunate. Um, but I know from talking to Sadoransky after the Clippers game, when he passed it into Gortat, he said he, you know, he has the five-second clock in his head, and he knows it was getting close. And it was in that game, too, getting very close. So he's, he's aware of the time, and, and he, knows, he knows how long five seconds are, and there just there, nobody was there for him to pass it to. And, and we really do need to hear some type of uh, explanation from, from Scott Brooks, because this, this did not make any sense at all. And by that, I mean you need to be going to shoot around tomorrow and getting us an explanation. Yeah, alas, there is no shoot around. The, the Wizards uh, will fly in tonight, and I guess you know take the morning off, which is well. Then go to pregame. Don't 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 get me on the technicality. You need uh, to be there pregame five fifteen. I want you tweeting out the explanation. I will. Uh, I will work on that. I mean, I would presume that it was asked post game. It just was not included in the quotes. I, I'm trying to see if if looking online to see if I can find anything. Um, in any event, so Brooklyn made two free throws after that, and, and that was. That was the ball game. So, so the Wizards are now at fourteen and thirteen. They finished this road trip at two and three. You know, look if you typically say, and they're, they're now four and five without John Wall. I, I know that in the grand scheme of things, if somebody who had heard John Wall was going to be out, and John Wall would have missed nine games, and assuming nine games, assuming he's back tomorrow, if if somebody who just generally pays attention to the league. No John Wall, what's the Wizards record? They probably would say, oh, losing record, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I had somebody tell me, who I'll remain nameless, but somebody who pays attention, said they may not win a single game without him, which I, of course, laughed in their face. But in any event, a losing record. If I, you know, four and five, you might be like, mm, 
maybe, I don't know, two and three on any road trip, even though uh, this was not a particularly, uh, the opponents weren't exactly amazing. And they did have a 47 point loss in this road trip, but they easily could have won all four other games. Ultimately, four and five without Walt, this is what it is, and two and three is ultimately disappointing because of how these last two games ended. I mean, we're not even, let's not even forget, you know, they lost before they went away. They lost the, uh, Portland. The Portland game, uh, right? I mean, the Utah game, as horrible as it was, blowouts happened, so we can almost sort of punt that one. But to, but to lose to the Clippers, they're up four with 50 seconds or so left at the free throw line. They blow that. Uh, this one, it, it, it definitely stings. And, you know, Adam, we've reached now, There's they played 27 games, which by my, by my math essentially is one-third of the season. We're way past the point of, saying things are particularly early. And it's, uh, you know, it's it, it's frustrating. I mean, look, at the end of the day, well, actually, but let's, let's end this on a positive note, Adam. Because, like I said, John Wall, we think is going to be back tomorrow. At least it sounds like he'll be back this week. The Wizards are not going to start a four-game homestand. Here, here's what I think, though, is maybe the, 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 the good part of, of all of this. As bad as this result was and as bad as the last game was, the bench has played much, much better, right? I'm going to assume on some level that the starters will pick up with Wall back, right? Now, I could be wrong, but we would think that would be some logical sense. I can't comprehend. You and I have now talked several times on this podcast and and off-air about this whole point guard situation. There's no way at this point he can go back to Frazier. He's played Sadoransky all fourth quarter, basically, in the last couple, two or three games. There's no way... He can make that switch. He has to stay with Sadoransky and have Frazier be the 11th guy. And, you know, it is what it is. But, I mean, somebody has to sit. There's no way. And if that's the case, if he stays with Sadoransky and the bench, you know, somehow doesn't revert to the weirdness it's had you know, earlier in the year and, of course, last year, the benches look good. And now if the starters get back to some form of normalcy, the Wizards actually might be really good. I'm not ready to say that will be the case because they're so wildly inconsistent. I'm just saying the bench has been something of a revelation with that wall, and you have to imagine Brooks is going to want to keep this going, and that would mean Sadoransky along with the other four guys. But, oh, by the way, well, you, I, I never said yeah. Mah- Jan Mahimi didn't play today with a knee issue. Uh, we'll see about tomorrow. Jason Smith did play. I'm talking about it with Mahimi and not Jason Smith, even though Jason Smith was was, was active tonight. He did things. But either way, you have to think Sadoransky is going to be going to stay. Well, look, I got, I have 58 games of Trey Burke, which says there's always a possibility that Tim Frazier will, will stay there. The only, uh, you know, bright spot, the only hope is that he played Sadoransky again in the fourth, but also that, as I said earlier, he did not put Frazier back in at the end of the second quarter. So it was just a one and done type thing for Frazier. Start the first, start the second half, and you're done. So, you know, you, you have to assume that, but, he, you know, he's been very slow to change up, you know, rotations. And this would be a pretty big deal because this is going to be DNPs for Tim Frazier. He's going to be back in Sadoransky's position. And I could see the only justification he gives in letting Frazier still be the backup point guard is what he said, you know, when I asked him the question before the Clippers game as well, Sadoransky can play shooting guard and small forward. So it isn't even an either or question. You could have them both on the court at the same time. So, my concern is still that he would view Frazier as the backup point guard and just try to find other ways to get Sadoransky on the court, maybe for Meeks, uh, you know, and maybe when they go small, 
if Marquise is going to still be benched. So, I mean, there's still ways but, I mean, that he can do it. But, but even but, but realistically, I mean, I, well, get, I, I, get what you, no, I get what you're saying. But I'm just saying if you look at the other components, Mike Scott, this was not a – he didn't go crazy today. But Mike Scott's been fantastic for the most part of late. Kelly Oubre, you know, he's been certainly more up and down of late. His shooting has, is going back to sort of closer to where it was a year ago. But he brings energy. He does. He's not going to sit, right? He's going to have at least one big man out there, whether that's Jan Mahimi, I presume, or Jason Smith. And Jody Meeks is the one other guy who can shoot. So there's literally – it's not like he could say, well, I could have Frazier and Sadarinsky, but then this guy will sit. Who's going to sit? <laughs> there's literally nowhere else. I'm with you. Anything can happen. But I'm just – I mean, I am – I will be apoplectic at this point if he doesn't do it. What else does he have to see – the, well, to, to, at uh, this point, to not go with it. Well, here, this is the only reason why, I, first of all, you, if you'll be apoplectic, think of how I will be. But what I would say is this, Sadoransky was better than Tim Frazier every single game of the year this year, even as Sadoransky sat at DMPs. And I'm positive that he was showing that in practice as well. So he's showing it now with, with Wall injured, but just think of the fact that, forget, the first 20 games when Wall wasn't injured. We were playing Tim Frazier ahead of Sadoransky, and so that's why I'm saying it's like there is this sort of like block when the, when the coaches and, and the, the uh, front office talk about Sadoransky every single time. It's he's a shooting guard. He's a small forward. He can do other things. So, but yes, it's obvious that the second unit plays better. I think one of the reasons why there's the offense is struggling with the starters is because Tim Frazier is playing with them. It is such a big drop off. I think if Sadoransky was playing with the starters right now, they'd be doing a lot better. Of course, the bench would be worse with Frazier, but I'm just saying a lot of it is the Frazier uh, drop off. The fact that he's not versatile at all. Um, you know, you can't play defense, uh, especially when they switch. But yes, I would assume Sadoransky is going to be the starter, or the backup point guard. That is a big deal going forward because if they can get that bench production, which they've had. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, the team has sort of taken on the – it's almost like the embodiment of, like, Kelly Oubre. It's like what the team is, and that we're seeing what they could be. They show flashes, and you just say, look, if they could just be consistent, if they could just stop blowing these leads, they'd be 15-6 and six by now. They, you know, it's, it's almost like that mentality where you can see what's there, you can see what's out there, but they just can't put it together. And, but, you know, the hope is, of course, that the starters have done it for several years now. Let's get it together, and – and let's play, start playing some complete games. But, you know, these collapses happen when you can't put it on walls out. They were, you know, they were game under 500. That's great. But they were making these same blown games when Wall was playing. So oh, it's not absolutely. just, you know, Wall will come back. So that, that's the concern. It's not like Wall comes back, everything's fine because now our bench is good, you know. But uh, they all have to, to get their act together and start playing, start playing better. Uh, but, yes, I'm hoping tomorrow it'll be it, – it, it, it's going to be a tense moment, you know, nine minutes into the game when Scott Brooks, you know, makes that call to put in the back of point guard because that's, that's going to be a huge, huge decision because that's the difference between DMPs and the possibility of becoming an actual real uh, rotation player for Sadoransky. Yeah. Um, I'm looking You're here. looking for extra quotes? No, extra no, quotes? no, no. I'm looking back here. Like, you know, like – like I, I think that Tim Frazier can be effective in some spots. I, I just think, like, like you know, look in part is Tim Frazier responsible for Markeith Morris, Martin Gortat is not playing that great right now. 
I, I, I don't think so. He's, no, not controlling, no, no. he's not controlling their energy. I think Tim Frazier can keep the trains moving. Like I said before, though, when he's on the second unit and they don't have any guys, they have guys who need to be set up more. Uh, that, that's, that's where the issue is. So, uh, you know, I'm looking back here, uh, at, uh, I'm trying to find here some, uh, I had, I was looking back some scout I, I, uh, was dealing with back in the day. Uh, or, or, or over the summer when they acquired Frazier and looking back and he, and he was like, eh, Matt on Frazier, the revolving door at backup point guard continues. Um, I mean, I had other people yeah. tell me they liked them and, you know, I guess it's, you know, it's like, with, like with all these things, it's different watching somebody play here and there as opposed to watching them play on a daily basis. And uh, you know, look, Tim Frazier had some decent numbers with the Pelicans, but but it, it doesn't even matter. It's just, it's not, it's less about Frazier on some level, and just more that things are working with Sadoransky. It's not saying it's all the bench isn't just about Sadoransky. Other guys have done well, but uh, anyway, so that would be the silver lining of all this. If the end result of they went four and five without Wall, but they found they have a bench in what works, then ultimately you'd have to say this this could be a positive stretch, as silly as that sort of sounds in this moment where we're talking about a loss to the Brooklyn Nets. But uh, that's the potential silver lining. We'll just have to see what Scott Brooks does uh, going forward. Yeah, well, and we'll find out in uh, real soon, too. Yeah, we will. Tomorrow night against Memphis. Will you be uh, at the game? I will be in attendance. I will be there. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm hoping for – for my sake and my, my mental health and the health of everybody around me and my family, that Sadoransky is the first point guard off the bench tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, it'll be awesome when, when, when Sadoransky comes in, assuming Wall's back and Sadoransky comes in. Just a random substitution with like four minutes left in the first quarter. You may hear, you may see a one man standing ovation. It's possible. Oh, I. <laughs> If that were to happen, I can guarantee that there will be, a, at the very least, a one-man standing ovation. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I, you know, uh, it, it's just, I, I just, I, I, I root for logic, and there's just the logic is there. But the other part of the, this equation is, even with the bench playing better, the starters typically play more minutes, of course, and they and, and they got to get these guys going. I mean, for, for, for Markeith Morris in particular, I mean, Gortat's definitely been a little more up and down, um, but... Markeith Morris in particular, what he provides them is something that they can't get otherwise. Uh, you know, Kelly Oubre can do some things. Mike Scott can do some things. But, you know, Cleveland and LeBron are coming in here on a Sunday. This is the type of game, that's the game where you need Markeith Morris to be energized. He's going up against LeBron. He's the one guy the Wizards have that can sort of stand up to LeBron physically. We saw what happened in the last game when they didn't really have him. LeBron went for 57. But look, I mean, if you're Scott Brooks, if, if Markeith doesn't keep show, start showing you more, it's going to be get harder and harder to play him. And you know, ultimately, there is a question of what's the deal? Is the injury, you know, is there more injury that's that, you know than they've let on? And yada yada yada. But uh, all right, Adam, look, I've kept you here long enough. It's a big night here. There's a lot of things to get to. I'm sure you have uh, work and television to, to work to do and television to watch. So I'll let you go. I appreciate it, man. Uh, Adam Rubin on Twitter. He is at Liddell's place. I'm sure he'll be writing things on truth about it that night. Go find him there. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Ben Standig. The podcast is on iTunes. 
and we are out of here. Until next time, see ya. Deal gets open for three. Dagger! Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.